the words to that song are just, they're just powerful. They're stirring. That when they were singing, um, we believe he pours out his spirit on his church and grace and power in this final hour. I was thinking, that's true. But also, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And I'm hoping that by the time we finish today's lesson, that through our behavior, we will put an end to grieving the Holy Spirit in one significant area and maybe receive a blessing in consequence of that. And we will truly have His Spirit poured out in us in grace and in power so that we can do God's work because the days are drawn near. I don't know if you watch the news. I've been staying away from it more and more often because it's so distressing if you really watch it all the time. But it seems to me that the world is just like this right now. And just, it could just take a little hair to throw us into World War III. Crazy things going on in the world. We, um, we have in our house, we have regular garbage and recycling. Not because we're particularly green, but because that's what the city requires us to do nowadays. <laughs> so, but uh, sometimes we get these big boxes and you're supposed to put them in the recycling because they're cardboard, but they don't fit in the trash can, so we stack them up on top. And then when they get stacked on top, everybody forgets there's a trash can under there, and nobody uses it, and it gets, it gets like this. So the other day, I just took a Kleenex, and I threw it on top because I wanted to get rid of it, and the whole thing tumbled. I mean, how much does a Kleenex weigh? That, somebody must have just set that up there just right to booby trap me. So anyway, um, the, the words of that song were powerful. We're going to talk a lot this morning about words. And let's start off with a um, true story about the Declaration of Independence and the uh, Constitution of the United States. They had an old draft of the Declaration, and they saw in one spot there was the word citizens, but under it, it was smudged. So you just knew whoever did that draft had a word there, they smeared out the word before it dried, didn't like the word, and put the word citizens on there. And everybody was just dying to know what was the word? What was the first word that Jefferson or Hancock or whoever did that had in mind and then changed it for the word citizens? Well, with modern forensics, they're able to, you know, look at these things with all sorts of cool gadgetry and they actually figured out what the word was. The word that was smeared out and replaced with citizens was the word subjects. Now, let me read to you how the article summarizes the consequence of that. That was the moment, according to historians, that redefined the American colonists. One word. We're no longer subjects. We're citizens. We're going to do something new and different here. One word can change everything. One word can actually change the course of history. You know, the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I fully and completely believe it. James says that our tongue can set the course of our lives. It does set the course of our lives. So one word sets the course of a nation. One word can set the course of your personal life. And words also set the course of the afterlife. So words are extremely powerful. Listen to what Jesus said. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
I've read that passage a gazillion times. I knew it theoretically. But how many of you really, when you think about the afterlife, you think about facing God and judgment, the first thing that crosses your mouth, your mind is your mouth. We don't think about that. Did we murder? Did we steal? You know, did we do all sorts of evil things or all sorts of good things? That's what crosses our mind. We very rarely think of, what did I say? But Jesus said, that's going to be key on Judgment Day. I've never stood before God. I have a hard time thinking that the first thing that I'm going to think of is my mouth. But there is a man who did stand before God. And look what happened. I'm in Isaiah chapter 6. Listen. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah writing, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Wow. That's stunning in and of itself. He was sitting on his throne, high and exalted, and his robe or the train filled the whole temple. And around him, flaming creatures were standing, each of which had six wings. Each creature covered its face with two wings and its body with two, and used the other two for flying. They were calling out to each other, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzavaot, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. The world is filled with His glory. The sound of their voices made the foundation of the temple shake, and the temple itself became filled with smoke. This is what Isaiah saw. Now listen to what he says. I said, there's no hope for me. I'm doomed because every word that passes my lips is sinful and I live among a people whose every word is sinful. And yet with my own eyes, I've seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the creatures flew down to me carrying a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and with the burning coal and said, this has touched your lips and now your guilt is gone and your sins are forgiven. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this passage of Scripture, how many times I've analyzed that passage of Scripture. What's with the creatures in the six wings? This translation said the burning creatures, which is good because the Hebrew is the burning ones. That's what it means. Seraphim. You got cherubim and you got seraphim. And they got six wings, but are they the same or are they something different? So I've analyzed the Hebrew. I've looked at the attributes of the creatures. I see that two cover their face, two their feet, two they fly. I've looked at this passage of Scripture. And every time I've looked at it, I miss the most important part. That's just a distraction. Who cares about the creatures? They don't, they're not the stars of this story. God and Isaiah's response to God. You know, whatever you think about seraphim or cherubim, it's not going to change your life. And it's not going to matter to your afterlife. But I've already shown you what we do with our lips does change our life and does matter to our afterlife. So what do we do? We look at a passage of scripture like this and we totally ignore the most important part. We dabble in the silly. It's not really silly. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I guess it's a lot easier to wonder what a seraphim really is and what it's doing than to analyze my own mouth. Isaiah says, every word that passes out of my mouth is sinful. Well, that's exaggeration. It's hyperbole. But he's making a point. His mouth is no good. What he has done with his mouth is no good, and he cannot stand before God with that guilt on his back. That's the point. He said, I am doomed because every word that passes my lips is sinful, 
And I live among a people whose every word is sinful. You know, the, the harm we can do with our mouths and the good cannot be underestimated. You know, we think about stealing is really bad, but you know what? You can pay that back. There's this Jewish story about this guy um, who slandered his rabbi and gossiped about his rabbi, but then he got some remorse. He realized he had done wrong. So he went to the rabbi and he said, you know, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, and I'm, I'm very sorry, but I've been gossiping about you. I've been saying bad things about you, and God's convicted me. I've done wrong. I'd like to make restitution. What, what can I do to make it right? And the rabbi, in a very rabbinic way, said, go get a feather pillow. Cut it open and scatter the feathers in the wind. The guy had no idea what he was talking about. What's that have to do with what I'm telling you? But he asked if there was anything he could do, and that's easy enough to do. So he went out, and he got a feather pillow, threw him up into the wind, and they just blew everywhere. And he came back to the rabbi, and the rabbi said, I've done what you asked. He said, no, now go get every one of those feathers. He said, you can no more fix that pillow than you can fix the damage that you've done. There's a quote in the Talmud that says this. Let me just read it for you. The sages say that for three transgressions, one forfeits his portion in the world to come. In other words, this passage of Talmud is saying, there's three things that will keep you out of heaven. These three things, if you do them, there's no chance for you. Murder, adultery, and idol worship. And that an evil tongue is equivalent to all three. Wow. So even these people who elevate Jewish tradition even higher than the scriptures understand the significance, the power of the tongue. This is what I want us to learn this morning. This is all I want you to go home with. I want you to understand the power of the tongue. Um, again, quoting from Jewish tradition, they say, you know, we've got all these limbs and they're outside of our body, free to flail and do whatever they want, but there's one limb that's stuck inside the body because it's too dangerous to let out. It's guarded behind a wall of teeth and gums and has to lay flat because it's dangerous. The tongue. You know, I was thinking about a tongue um, for those of you who know anything about firearms, firearms are to be handled in such a way that you always consider them loaded, even when you know they're not loaded. The idea is, if you always treat them as if they're loaded, you'll never have an accident. So you don't point a gun at somebody, ever. That's just rule number one with a firearm. You only point it at that which you intend to shoot it at. So even if you're cleaning the thing and somebody comes in, you turn it away. Even if it's empty and open. It's, it's, a, it's a practice to, to be safe. You never would pull it out of your holster and point it at somebody and say, hey, look at my cool gun. You just, it's just wrong. You don't do it. It's too dangerous to do that with. And yet, this is more dangerous, and we unholster it all the time. In fact, the only way to use it is to point it at people. Every word you say, it flicks at people. 
So if the tongue is more dangerous than the gun, and many of you would never touch a gun, what I want you to do is understand, not theoretically, but in your heart of hearts, that what I'm telling you is true. We have to handle this thing of ours with utmost care. Speaking about guns, guns are dangerous. Automobiles are dangerous too. More people die in automobile accidents than from guns. We don't give car keys to just anybody. They have to read book, learn all the laws, then they have to go out and practice. And before they get a license, they have to demonstrate that they've done, I don't remember how many hours and hours of day driving, how many hours of night driving, practice with the rain, and then you go and get a driving test. Then you can get a license. Nobody licenses our tongues. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words are extremely powerful to hurt or to heal, to tear down or to build up. There's nothing more powerful than words. I have a video clip. I've shared it with you in the past, but it's just stunning in its, in its power. So I'd like to share it with you once more. Video clip about the power of words. beautiful application and illustration of how words can make a world of difference. The Bible tells us so much about how to use our mouths. So I'm going to condense some of it and give you some of its salient points, some of the key points. Number one, advice from the scriptures, admonition, instruction from the scriptures on how to use our mouths. Number one, talk less, listen more. Proverbs 10, 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who holds back his lips is wise. So the Bible says don't talk so much because we're bound to say something foolish if we do. Can I get an amen? amen? How many of you have opened your mouth and have inserted your foot and only wished you kept your mouth shut? Yeah, all of us have. If you didn't raise your hand, you just don't know. But I'll give you another chance. How many of you have ever opened your mouth and wished you have kept it shut? Let me see your hands. Okay, everybody's hands should go up. Thank you. 
James wrote, everyone must be quick to listen, but slow to speak. Give you a head trip. I'm emphasizing all this today because we know the Bible says it's true, but we don't live like it's true. So we really don't believe it. It's not enough to believe it up here. We have to live it if we want to believe it. It's up to you to choose what you truly believe and to revolve your life around it. In short, we have to reprogram ourselves. We are the only computers that can do that. Tell ourselves what's wrong and then fix ourselves and reprogram the way we think, the way we act. Now, isn't that crazy? If we're telling our brain that we don't like the way it's thinking, what's telling us that our brain isn't thinking right, if not our brain? Our soul, our spirit. See, we've got this struggle within us. We know right from wrong, and part of us wants to do wrong, and part of us wants to do right. So we have to grab a hold of the right and make it stronger and cram down the bad. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive. The Bible instructs us. So this morning, it's my hope that your brain will say, okay, I understand the tongue is extremely powerful and that I haven't been cognizant of that in my daily life, but I will from here on out. That's what I'm hoping will happen this morning. I love this quote. I've heard it a million times. Better to hold your tongue and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. Better to keep your mouth shut now than to have to eat your words later. All these cool little sayings, they make great bumper stickers because they're so true. So, number one, talk less, listen more. Number two, before I tell you what number two is, let me read to you a poem about it. And I'll help you appreciate it even better. Here's number two on what the Bible tells us on how to guard our tongues. And it's not number two in importance. It's just the second on my list. It's probably number one of importance, definitely on my list. Here's the poem. It's called Nobody's Friend. I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious and gather strength with age. The more I'm quoted, the more I'm believed. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me. I have no name. I have no face. To track me down, it's impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I am nobody's friend. Once I tarnish a reputation, it's never the same. I topple governments and wreck marriages. I ruin careers and cause sleepless nights, heartaches and indigestion. I make innocent people cry on their pillows. I make headlines, I make headaches. Even my name hisses. I am gossip. Number two. Number one, talk less, listen more. Number two, don't gossip. Part of the problem with gossip is most people don't even know really what it is. I'm going to give you a few angles of definitions, but the best way for me to communicate what I believe gossip is is anytime you say something about somebody else that's not positive. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. You just shouldn't say anything about somebody else that's not positive.
Yeah, by all means, pray for me, please. <laughs> that would be a typical gossip scenario right there. Condensed, of course, but that's how it often happens. But that's only part of the problem. That's only part of the story. Gossip can be true, too. Gossip can be factual information. If you said something like this, did you hear about Jose's son? He got pulled over for a DUI. Well, that may be true. It's not. But that may be true. But what are you talking about it for? Who are you benefiting with that information? Nobody. You're just taking bad news and sharing it with other people. That's not healthy. That's not good. That is gossip. But if you said this, did you hear that Jose's son is one of America's preeminent chefs? and he's working for some of the best places in town, which, by the way, is true. You can say that all day, because it, it's good. Gossip isn't, it's irrelevant whether it's true or not. Gossip is bad if the information you impart isn't uplifting. That's what makes gossip gossip. So that's my take on gossip. The book of Moses, the Torah, uh, Leviticus says, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. And Proverbs 11:13, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals matter. Give you a biblical case in point. Okay, it says, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is, conceals a matter is faithful. Okay. Mary gets pregnant. Joseph's engaged to her. He didn't do it. So what's he do? The Bible says, Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. It's nobody's business. He doesn't have to make Mary look bad. He'll just do, deal with it on the down low. Why? Because he was not a talebearer. He was not a gossip. He was a righteous man. It was true. She wasn't married and she was pregnant. It was true. But he was a just man, and he wanted to keep his mouth shut. And he did. And then an angel came and told him, hey, it's all good. You know, you know the rest of the story. Dictionary.com defines gossip this way. Idle talk or rumor, especially about the personal or private affairs of others. Notice it doesn't say anything about whether it's true or not. Gossip has nothing to do with truth. It has to do with it, whether it's edifying or not, whether it's uplifting or not. So, by the way, um, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and I'd probably say any pastor you'd ask, what's the biggest problem in ministry in your church? He would probably say gossip. And if he doesn't, you say, what about gossip? He'd say, yeah, that's it, that's it. Gossip is a horrible problem in churches. Number one, talk less, listen more. Number two, don't gossip. Number three, don't associate with people who do gossip. Proverbs 20 and 19. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. Everybody sins. This isn't saying as soon as you hear a friend of yours do something wrong that they should never be your friend again. But you know as well as I do, or there's some people that you just know that's what they're about. As soon as you sit down with them, they're going to start saying stuff that doesn't make you feel comfortable. Let me tell you something. Stay away from them for practical reasons and for spiritual reasons that you may not know are practical, but are still practical. Practical reasons. If they're talking bad about somebody else, they're going to be talking about you bad to somebody else too. 
You're not just the receptionist. You're also going to be the object and subject of their gossip. Sure as rain is wet. Also, it makes you party to the sin. And you don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that. So just stay away from them. They're dangerous people. Remember I told you it's the worst problem in a church? Listen to Proverbs 26, 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Of course. And where there is no talebearer or gossip, strife ceases. Even when there's a legitimate problem at work, in your school, in your family, or at church, a real problem, who should be talking about? The people who are part of the solution. That's all. Nobody else. If you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, you shouldn't be part of the conversation. Let the people who are involved deal with it. Because when more people start talking about it, it takes on a life of its own. Do you know what I'm saying? It becomes even worse than it was. Okay, you got a problem? Let the primaries deal with it and then be done with it. Pull the wood out of the fire, the fire goes out. Throw a gossip in there and it spreads. Proverbs 16, 28. Gossip is spread by wicked people. They stir up trouble and break up friendships. You know it's true. But here's the part that's hardest. But you can't get mad at me because I'm just quoting the scripture. You're going to have to get mad at God. Take it up with him. Gossip is spread by wicked people. Don't be wicked. And don't hang out with wicked people. dangerous talk less listen more don't gossip don't associate with those who do gossip that's pretty much three negatives time to jump into positive territory because I told you tongue can be used to tear down or to build up to harm or to heal there's a passage in the scripture that says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver you know what wouldn't it be cool if we had some earrings made up apples of gold and settings of silver and earrings because gossip goes in through the ear but so do good words so like every time you put in those earrings you'd be thinking of that passage of scripture about the power of the tongue and the power of words that would be cool jewelry one of my favorite passages no this is probably my favorite passage of scripture on the use of the mouth it's Ephesians 4 29 you might want to memorize it do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Maybe you've never thought of it this way. I never have. But why do we have mouths in the first place? Why do we tongues? Why do we have the ability to talk? Is it for our own benefit? No, it's not. In fact, people who talk to themselves are crazy. We have a mouth to talk to others. God has given us the power of the words, the power of speech to impart life to others. But what do we do with it? Some of that and some not of that. James was just flabbergasted in his epistle. He said, you know, out of the same mouth, we praise God and curse people. That should not be, brothers. You know, I, I have this saying, I, I use it a lot. When I heard somebody cuss, I used to say, man, you kiss your mother with that mouth? Same idea. Out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings? That's not right. You got a hot water and a cold water. You know what I'm saying? James used salt water, fresh water. You can't get both out of one spigot. 
It's either bad water or good water. God wants us spewing forth the words of life and nothing else. Jesus said this, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things. God wants us to use our words to build up, not to tear down. You've got a pew in your Bible? Open up to Malachi, chapter 3. A pew in your Bible? <laughs> yeah, I can use my words really good. Bible in your pew. Malachi 3. I'm going to use my E version here. 316. I'm having you open to it so you can see it on paper, feel it, touch it, smell it, know where it's at on that page so you can find it again. It's 316, like John 316. So you never have to forget this passage of scripture again. It wasn't part of my sermon. Yesterday, before I even gave the sermon, somebody pointed out this passage of scripture to me. I was like, wow, I should add that to my sermon because it's powerful. Listen to it. Your version might read a little differently than mine. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. The Lord listened and took note, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence about those who fear the Lord and honor his name. God listens in to our conversations and takes note, literally, pen in hand. When we say things that honor God, he writes it in a scroll to remember it by. I don't doubt that someday we're going to get up to heaven and go into the divine archives. I don't know, maybe it'll be a CD. Maybe you get to press a video screen button. Do you remember on that Wednesday night when you all got together and you talked about the book of Hebrews, book of Revelation, you remember that, that night? And do you remember you led that group and you helped 10 other people talk well about me that night? I was there. I was listening. That was awesome. Well done. Oh, yeah, do you remember? You were going through the book of Revelation with Nick on a Wednesday night in the small group, and we got to chapter 3, and we talked about that one passage of Scripture, and you steered the conversation into honoring my name. Do you remember that? I remember that. You put a smile on my face. Well done. This passage of Scripture, man, it just it lights me up. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other. The Lord listened and took note, and a scroll of remembrance was written. It's awesome. I'm telling you, man, life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's just nothing you can do about it. So a counselor wrote an article and mentioned the power of words in it, so I took a snippet. Let me read it to you. Dads, I wish there was some way that I could communicate to you the incredible blessing which affirming words impart to children. I wish, too, that you could sit in my office when I counsel and hear the terrible damage that individuals receive from not hearing affirming words, particularly affirming words from a father. While words from a godly teacher can melt a heart, words from a, a father can powerfully set the course of a life. Set the course of a life. That's where we started, remember? Just like the Bible says, just like we've seen. So this counselor says, same thing. William Norris said, if your lips would keep from slips five things to observe with care, to whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. Proverbs 12, 25. 
An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. We can pull people up out of the gutter with just the right word at just the right time. I can't do a better job of communicating to you intellectually the power of words and the importance of using your tongue well. I just hope you'll go home and program yourself based on that knowledge. We are in the book of Isaiah. He saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he felt horrible about his lips. But Isaiah says more about the lips, and I'm going to close with that. I told you over the last few weeks that prophets did three things. In part, they did more, but they had to tell people what their sins were, usually nationwide. Then the consequences of their sin, and then they offered hope and a blessing. Isaiah has chapter after chapter talking about the sins of Israel, but towards the very beginning of the book, in chapter 3, listen to what he says. For Jerusalem stumbled, and Judah is fallen because of their tongue, and their doings are against the Lord. Jerusalem, Israel is ruined and destroyed because of what they say and what they do. The very beginning of one of the biggest books in the Bible, one of the biggest exposés on sin in the Bible, one of the biggest prophets in the Bible, and towards the very beginning of the book, he says, Israel's ruined because of their mouths. I'm telling you, as James says, it's a world, you can set the world on fire with your tongue, and the tongue can be set on fire by hell. The tongue is powerful for good or for bad. Be real careful who you aim it at and aim it for building up and not for tearing down. The tongue sets the course of a nation. The tongue sets the course of your life. The tongue sets the course of your afterlife. Jesus said, by your words you will be condemned or justified. Let me read to you how your words can justify you, how your words can save you. Listen. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we understand but help us to really get it. Help us to live it. Help us to understand truly that we've got atomic weaponry in our mouths and to use it wisely. Lord, every time we say something, remind us that it should be words to edify. If we slip with our lips, show us that we might re immediately repent. And then... Show us, Lord, and convince us that we can actually help people. We don't have to be pastors. We don't have to be presidents. All we have to do is say a kind word now and then and really make somebody's day and maybe even set the course of their life into positive territory instead of negative. Help us to remember our lips when we talk about our president and our country. Help us to remember our lips when we talk about people of opposing values and opinions. Help us to remember our lips when we consider our friends and our enemies. And help us to pour forth blessings 
that honor you and your son. We are willing, Lord, but our flesh is weak. May Book of Life Community Church and Congregation Beth Sar Shalom become the place where people's lips sing forth the praises of God and cause no harm. And that people come here will feel that healing and that health and that life. Make it so, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah wasn't left in that state. If you remember, the burning one took a burning coal off the altar, put it to his burning lips, and told him his sins were atoned for. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, he's forgiven all of our sins. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I don't want you walking out of here with your head down and your tail between your legs feeling bad. Praise God, you've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. But we got to live like it too. So just commit yourself to serving the Lord and using your lips for his honor and his glory. Have a beautiful week and go out there and build somebody up. Please bow your heads for the, the benediction and you'll be dismissed. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. God bless you all. Have a great week. I'll see you Wednesday night.